Well, once again, good morning. We uh, we're in uh, the kind of like the end of the church year. Uh, the church has its own calendar, and uh, this time of year, it's traditionally uh, used to talk about the return of Jesus and what that might look like. And so we have in our readings uh, stuff that that points to Jesus' return. And um, there's a lot of confusion about the way the Bible talks about what it will be like when Jesus returns. And it's largely, believe it or not, it's largely an American thing. Uh, Now, some of that has gotten kind of exported to to other Christian groups throughout the world. Uh, But usually... When we talk about, with, in kind of the, like the larger discourse, uh, about the return of Jesus, it's usually talked about in terms of escape. Like Jesus is going to get me off this rock so we can bulldoze over it or dynamite it or end it or something like that. And so the idea of the return of Jesus is often confused with some idea about the end of the world. And I would submit to you that if God were intended to end the world, that would be essentially God admitting to a mistake. Think about this. You start a project that you are ill-qualified to engage in, which is kind of like what I do as a hobby. Um, And you get halfway through and nothing works. And what do you finally do if you have the wisdom to, to see it? You throw it away and either never talk about it again or you start over. But God doesn't make mistakes. And in fact, the way that the Bible talks about things like the day of the Lord or the coming of Jesus isn't so much the end as it is a new beginning, a rebirth. And in fact, usually when the the authors of the Bible talk about something to do with sort of this sometime way in the future when God finally finishes what he started in Jesus, the language used is usually suggesting, uh, shall we say, continuity with the earth we live in today. As uh, one a very prominent writer, uh, the Reverend Dr. Bishop uh, Tom Wright, said, Earth is our home as human beings. Human beings were always made to live on Earth. Now, it may also surprise you that uh, the Bible honestly doesn't talk that much about what happens after you die. Uh, the writers just don't seem that interested in, in it. They, they mention it from time to time, and there's a strong sense that, uh, or actually it's rather clear that, that those who die in Jesus wait and rest in Jesus, which is pro- really what we mean when we say going to heaven when you, when you die, but you don't stay there. Uh, and to get at this, uh, we're going to look at um, the epistle reading from 1 Thessalonians. And uh, Paul is writing to a very specific context, uh, or to a very specific church within a specific context. Um, in, the, in, in the realm of like New Testament Bible nerdiness, 
we love to argue about which, or, which was the first of Paul's writings and so on and so forth uh, because that's what we do with our time. And 1 Thessalonians, I, I fall into the camp that, that would say 1 Thessalonians is probably the first. Or if not the first, very, very early. I think it was written sometime around 20-ish years after Jesus. And I only bring that up because I want you to feel sort of that, uh, the weight of that. That when we read something like 1 Thessalonians, we're reading some of the first Christian writing that we have. There, there's a sacredness to that, along with just the sacredness of reading the Word of God. Now, in this church, uh, we have evidently a bunch of new believers. Uh, probably a lot of them are, are non-Jewish or Greek and uh, they have some odd confusions about what it means to live and then to die in Jesus. Because the, they, they write to Paul, or they get word to Paul saying, oh no, some of our people just died. Does that mean they don't get to take part in the return of Jesus? And we today, of course, would think, well, that's ridiculous. Um, but that's because we have this letter. And Paul's response is also often misunderstood. Because he, he encourages his people by saying that at some point, someday in the future, when Jesus returns, first off, God has the people who have died in Jesus, and then when Jesus returns, they will appear with him or go up to see him or something like that. It's, a little confusing, and then we who are alive in Jesus will then go up to meet him. And this, is, this has been taken um, in all kinds of interesting creative directions in kind of Christian thought. And a lot of times um, in the broader Christian world, we'll think, oh, so Jesus is taking us from this world. Good, I hate it here, or something like that, or it's a mess. And usually that's related to whatever is happening in politics or society or something like that. Um, but what Paul is describing here is not escape. It's not Jesus snatching away his believers and letting everything else kind of go to hell in a handbasket, somewhat literally. But actually, he's describing something that would have been immediately familiar to everybody he's writing to throughout the Roman Empire, including Judea, Jerusalem, Galilee, Samaria, and all the excuse me, and all of that. Um, see, back in that time, if you were a like a some kind of dignitary. You were a politician, you were somebody powerful, somebody extremely wealthy with a really, really powerful reputation, and often those people end up kind of getting involved in politics anyway, and you were traveling to a city, uh, you would either send runners ahead as part of your entourage, or you would expect that those who live in that city to notice, and when they figure out who's approaching this city... It was expected that as many people as are available from that city rush out to meet this person, throw kind of an impromptu parade, welcome them into the city, at which point 
that person will honor the most respected and deserving person in that city with their presence for a meal. Um, this may sound familiar if you're really, really a big Bible nerd, because in Luke 9, or 18, excuse me, Jesus is approaching Jericho, and then a bunch of people rush out to greet him, and then they welcome him to Jericho, and Jesus has the audacity of honoring the wrong person. Does anybody know his name? Zacchaeus. Yes, it's the same phenomenon that happens all over the, uh, the, the known world at that time. In fact, there, it, it was so well known that there were moments when the, the I, think, I can't remember his name because of course I can't, um, a very important Roman official was approaching a city and they didn't welcome him well enough and for their trouble, he burned the city to the ground. Um, this is what Paul has in mind as he is describing this moment of Jesus' return. Uh, this whole like entourage of people. First, those who have died in Jesus and rest with him, which is really what we mean uh, when we say going to heaven when you die, like you are in the presence of Jesus, which is by definition heaven. They somehow rise, we go up to meet him, but Paul doesn't need to explain what happens next because he can safely assume that his audience understands that we then welcome him back to earth. Because it is so ingrained in their minds. Um, we have similar kinds of things and sayings in, uh, in, in our world and in, and in English. I remember I don't know, a month ago, two months ago, something like that, uh, Jerry, uh, our, our congregational president, the guy who did the, uh, the children's sermon, if you don't know him, he uh, was giving announcements at the end of the service. And um, I don't remember exactly what the announcement was, but they needed enough people to uh, sign up for something or, or offer to help. And it, it, it has fascinated me uh, ever since what he said. Because he said, it would be great to have a lot of people to help out, you know, many hands and all that. What did he mean by that? He meant this very well-known saying, many hands make light work, right? But he didn't need to say that. He just had to say many hands. And we immediately knew what he meant. This is what Paul is doing. We all go up to meet Jesus, and he doesn't need to say the rest. Because then we come back down to earth. The reason why I am taking out this drum and beating it is that it is vital to understanding and the way of Jesus and to follow him to know that the way of Jesus is not a way of escape. We welcome Jesus back to earth. Because looking at the broad narrative arc of, the, of uh, the biblical narrative, God is not intent on going, ah, oh, I've made a mistake, I'm just going to blow this thing up and start over or something like that. But actually what God did for Jesus when he is buried, or when he, excuse me, when he's died and he is buried, and then when he is raised from the dead, God will do for creation itself along with those who follow Jesus. 
which means that the way of Jesus is the way of, of renewal for the earth in which we live. It's renewing our home. It's renewing our hearts. It's engaging with the world around us. Noticed, uh, or maybe you noticed, uh, during the uh, Old Testament reading, the prophet Amos, who, I mean, you know, <laughs> whoa, it comes the day of the Lord. It's like a man fleeing from a lion and he encounters a bear or getting bit by a snake and I hate your festivals and your solemn assemblies. Stop singing. It's like, Amos, are you okay, buddy? Um, do you need to talk? But in reality, uh, Amos is talking, uh, is working in a very, during a very dark time in Israel's history. Um, and uh, it's a time when, when they, they were just kind of failing miserably, miserably in following God. But notice how that end, uh, or that passage ended. He said, but let justice flow like the waters and righteousness like the ever-flowing stream." Justice and righteousness are the things for the earth, the things for culture, for human thriving. That is not a spirituality of escape. It's a spirituality of engagement. That our whole existence as human beings is flesh hitting dust. It's us interacting with, living with, uh, uh, building in and playing in and working in the earth. If our goal were simply to escape, then our lives would be anemic because what difference does it make what we do in and among the people around us? Why would we care about matters of justice? Why would we care if people are hungry? Why would we care if people were sick? It's all just nonsense anyway and God's going to make it go away. But that's not the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is getting our hands dirty. The way of Jesus is identifying those in need and helping meet those needs. The way of Jesus is understanding that if Jesus died for our own darkness and took our own sin and destruction on his own shoulders, taking him into his grave, and then God raising Jesus from the dead, not in a spiritual resurrection, but in an, a very physical, bodily resurrection. Then our bodies matter, what we do with our bodies matter, the way we serve others with our bodies matter, the way we work matters, the way we engage our creation. All of that matters. And if the end result is us welcoming Jesus back to our home, the place where He lived and grew up and died and the place of the first resurrection, then what we do here is in, is in some way connected to what God will finally do when God finishes what He started by raising Jesus. And so, when we talk about the return of Jesus... We're not talking about escape. We're not 
talking about putting everything else aside because nothing matters, but rather it's God renewing our home, God renewing our hearts fully and finally, God raising our bodies in the way that they were always meant to be. Because the way of Jesus is about engaging everything around us and bringing that new resurrection life to everything we touch. Amen.